The Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by SR3 Rescue Concepts because you don't know what you don't know. And Life Saving Systems Corporation. We do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, your standardizations and safety checks, or just your annual FAA refresher. They are ready to help your agency keep up to date and current with techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is amazing. They have certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, all of them offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, and ground operations. SR3 has also partnered with Petzl to assist with PPE inspection courses and the highly specific Lizard, which is used for helicopter cliff and mountain rescue. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. Then we have Life Saving Systems Corporation that manufactures the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From their Triton harness, which I personally absolutely love as a rescue swimmer, my favorite harness, to the rescue baskets and litters, and of course, the most popular hoist hook in helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSC cuts, bends, sews, wells, and machines these products into existence every day. Contact them today at lifesavingsystems.com or follow them on Instagram at rescue gear that's at r-e-s-q-g-e-a-r when you send a message to these guys you just add in there quinny sent me and they got your back our next guest is a super killer guy he's been a friend of mine for quite a while now and to listen to his career path and what he's done to go from Nothing to where he's at now. Building programs. He's done rappel. He's done hoist. He's worked with power lines. He's done long line. He's got some knowledge on some helicopters. And it is awesome. I mean, you're talking about someone that has worked in Australia and Canada. And uh, I'm very grateful that he came onto the show. So, without further ado, let me introduce to you from Squamish, Canada. Working with Black Home Helicopters, Mr. Rob Monday. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. All right, cool. Well, in that case, Send it. Send ready it. to go? Sure. Let's do this. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Rescue Podcast. Uh, I've got a great guest today. His name is Mr. Rob Monday, and he lives up in Squamish, Canada, works with Blackcomb Helicopters up there. What's up, Rob? How are you today? Quinny, how are you? Thanks for, thanks for having me. This is exciting. Dude, I'm pumped to have you. Yeah, uh, man, this is yeah, going to be I, sweet. I really appreciate you coming in. So give everybody a little background about you is, you know, you're a, you're a hoist operator and a rescue specialist. And the greatest part about it is that I, I was there 
I was not there to train you, but I was there as like almost an instructor. And you and, trained me one time. I you can put your name on that for sure. You did to, just a little bit, man. You were already like high speed. Me and Craig Potts were hanging out with you. It was a good time. We had a great. We had a great time together. That was so fun. Oh gosh, it was. It was, it was a blast. So that's a podcast um, in itself, right? No kidding. Holy yeah. cow! Just a couple <laughs> couple of days we were together. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Landed at a bar. Anyway, I don't want to get there. Don't go there. Don't go there. It's another podcast. <laughs> right. But uh, Rob, if you don't mind, would you introduce yourself to everybody out there? Just kind of who you are, where you work, a little Absolutely. bit of experience and go from there. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me. I, uh, I appreciate the chance to be in such fine company here. Um, yeah. So my name is Rob Monday. I, uh, I'm originally obviously from Australia, not, uh, not Canada where I'm at now. I am a citizen here, which is nice. Makes the makes things a little bit easier with a passport. But Woo-hoo. yeah, uh, born and raised in Australia, um, uh, in Melbourne specifically, just out of Melbourne, uh, and uh, and grew up in a house of, of emergency services type people. My dad was a, a volunteer firefighter. Mum was a nurse, so I was kind of around that sort of environment a lot, I guess. Um, yeah. And as soon as I was allowed to, I, I started getting into firefighting and the volunteer stuff with uh, with my dad and sort of caught the bug, I guess, if you will. And as soon as I was able to basically, uh, you know, turned 18, uh, looked into going to university or college or, or something like that. And you know, I was into the outdoors and looking to try and do something similar and, and couldn't really decide what I wanted to do at that point. So I went and did a, a diploma in outdoor education, uh, it was a two year diploma. And, and it's basically, I mean, it was just outdoor guiding and experience and you know, doing whitewater kayaking and, and mountain biking and hiking and navigation oh, and survival dude, so and, and all. Fun. Yeah, it was it was summer camp for two years, basically. That's right? awesome. And f- for a guy who didn't really know what he wanted to do in the future, you know, I didn't really have a career path or anything like that. Got me out of the home and, and got me to, out in the real world and, and just, you know, so... Well, yeah, so we did that two years and then that was actually on a ski hill. So they built a college campus on a ski hill. Uh, and we didn't take our summer breaks. We, yeah, we took, we took winter breaks. So, uh, and that allowed us to actually find work on the ski hill uh, during the winter break and try and get industry experience, right? So oh, dang, that's awesome. Yeah, it was so much fun, man. So uh, I was a ski instructor for many, many years there, four or five years uh, of winters there. And, and to offset the the winter season, I got into firefighting in the summertime. So I was a seasonal, a seasonal job with our local forestry uh, government agency there doing doing seasonal firefighting stuff. Nice. Started off so, as a, as a were you going cowboy. out in the field and doing all the, uh, basically the digs and the fire lines and yeah, um, exactly. So to be, I guess the, the closest thing in the US would be a hotshot. Yeah. Uh, not quite as, as gnarly and as hardcore as a hotshot, probably. Uh, those guys are, are on a different level in the US for sure. But similar idea. We were working on the ground, driving trucks and, you know, heavy machinery, bulldozers, yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Uh, working Clearing the fire line the and ground, whatnot. Line. Sweet. Exactly. Dude. So I did that. I did that for a year. And then uh, someone mentioned to me that, hey, you can actually go and you can start flying around in helicopters doing this stuff and i was like well this sounds this sounds good so let's let's get into that and yeah i did a i did a year of ground i did a year of groundwork and then found a way to start flying and, and basically got onto uh the repel the repel wildfire access program uh in victoria in australia so did that for a year and then in my first year there long story short here i uh, i worked with a guy from alberta canada he was a rookie with me on on that fire crew and he's like man if you think it's good here you should come to Canada and, and try it out in Canada because it's like it's everything that we have here but 
you fly more, you fight more fire. It's, it's oh, sick. just like a, an expanded version of the same thing. Alberta's, if anyone who knows Canada, Alberta had uh, a big oil and gas market and it still does to a degree, but uh, lots of money, right? From the government. Yeah. So they were throwing money at, at firefighting. You you had a dedicated aircraft. It was it was great fun. So moved, to, moved so to Canada fun. and started doing this seasonal thing back and forth there. Uh, did, well... I mean, close to 10 seasons between Australia. I did 10 seasons between Australia and Canada back and forth. Wow. Um, almost exclusively on a wildfire wildfire repel program. And I worked my way through that up into, you know, from, from a rookie to a ground pounder who had some leadership and then, you know, up into actually spending more time in the aircraft and, and dispatching or spotting guys, uh, you know, like a crew chief type position, sending guys down into the fires and that sort of thing. So wow, sick. That's awesome. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. And then, you know, that kind of that's when I really got the bug for the flying side of things. And we'll talk a little bit about getting back into search and rescue in Australia. So I went back to Australia, did some training there and uh SAR specific training and, and yep. actually was lucky enough to get a job in Australia. And from there, uh, you know, worked a little bit there had an opportunity to go back to Canada and then uh, I've done marine pilot transfer stuff in, in British Columbia, Canada for a couple of years. We started up a hoist program for that basically from the ground up. And that's yeah. where you and I, uh, that is where we met. First time. That, you came yeah. in and, uh, and taught me the, the nuances of, of hoisting <laughs> to a boat because uh, I hadn't done a lot of that before. So that was really, really cool. And then uh, from there had the opportunity to jump on uh, with black home helicopters where I'm at now. And, and that was in a full-time position to, just enhance their hoist program and really try and get it to, yeah. you know, where it is today and, and be. That's, that's awesome. And black home helicopters is, yeah. Oh, it's a great story. Um, but black home helicopters. So they're, they're not a search and rescue agency. Like they're, they're a helicopter company. Yeah, we're a, exactly. We're a private company and, and we operate 20, 21 aircraft, depending on the week, it kind of fluctuates depending on workload, but you know, quite a significant number of aircraft doing, the whole range of like everything you can think of from tourism to utility power line maintenance we do do a lot of search and rescue we do heli skiing uh, it's, yeah. it's everything it's a huge huge range of stuff for sure yeah so basically i i roll up there and say i need a helicopter for x and you guys are like oh here's well, here's your helicopter and how much which, it which costs. one would you like yeah exactly. right man that's that's awesome I, i'm ready to yeah. go heli skiing you want to drop me out dude are Let's you coming with that. me come on sure. <laughs> I'm in. Yes. Yeah. It's... Canada, here I come. No, it's cut off from the U.S. Right now. Know. Soon. <laughs> soon. Soon, soon. will be allowed. Oh my gosh, that's funny. So, uh, so the your family, you you're having your whole family kind of in that search and rescue slash medical side of of things. I get it. I get how you get the bug for yeah. this. Um, oh yeah. So when now that you're in this, what like how how what was your first rescue like when that happened? Walk me through it. Yeah, so I, you know, I, I guess getting into when I went back to Australia, did some training to to get that start and and actually get into a job. You know, we well, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about the the training and the kind of getting into it side of things. But yep. I mean, like most people, I think we're thrown in the deep end, right? Like you, <laughs> you show up and and you get some training, and it's it's. It, it's you know it's super helpful training but ultimately i think that most people would agree it doesn't really prepare you for that first kind of rescue so when i when i was working full-time uh, on that search and rescue ship uh, in australia i was brought straight in most guys start as a, as a rescue specialist you know like in the coast guard or whatever you start as a, as a swimmer and then you know either either progress or or you come through a different channel to get into that crew chief mechanic type position um 
but in, in my case, I was thrown in as a, as a dual role. So I was hoist operator and a rescue specialist and I did shifts uh, doing both roles. So okay. I got my first ever rescue as a rescue specialist. It took a little while to actually, we didn't do a lot of hoisting. So it took a little while to go out and do one in anger. Um, we did a lot of training obviously, but it was actually in hindsight, pretty straightforward. It was a, a guy who was walking along the beach and the tide came in and it basically up against a cliff and he ended up hiking up the cliff to avoid the rising flood water or the yeah. tides basically it's like pretty standard stuff and yeah. so we went yeah, out yeah. there and this was 2011 you know and i do laugh now like i've got video and stuff of it and it was all pretty interesting but we actually we did a dynamic hoist deployment of me as the rescue specialist to the cliff uh horse collar rescue strap type thing and, and a double yeah. up extraction back up and out and, and off we go and yeah i mean now you look and it's like oh that was pretty pretty basic really that's kind of bread and butter stuff but, yeah, but that's awesome at the, at the time you know that's like for me it's like whoa here we go you know things are happening here and like everyone's i'm sure everyone's experienced it but that's yeah that was kind of straight you know, into it, right? that's awesome so, i mean well especially as your first one now you're doing a cliff rescue that's that's right. pretty cool um, yeah and it was a little ledge you know maybe the size of a coffee table or, or something yeah. like that that we really had to to stand on but two guys you know what it's like two guys on there and trying to put a horse collar on i mean it's, yeah. it's tight enough yeah it was it, it wasn't the <laughs> easiest thing you could do for the first one so dude that's awesome Right. And then, yeah, like I say, as a, as a hoist operator, it took a little longer to get into it. But again, I felt like it was, it was pretty, even now, like pretty, it would be pretty interesting to go out and do this. So we had like a whole bunch of flooding and uh, a lady got washed off uh, the highway. She tried to drive through some deeper kind of floodwaters, typical thing, got washed off and, and pushed downstream, you know, a couple of hundred uh, yards or, you know, a thousand feet or whatever. And uh, got, got jammed up against a tree and, and she basically climbed out the window of her pickup truck and was in the the bed of the pickup truck oh, okay yeah we got out there and i was the hoist operator and uh i had a really really experienced rescue specialist luckily he'd had 10 or more years of experience rescue specialist uh yeah. before so he was really really comfortable and kind of walked us through it but it was not the best weather you know lots of moving water uh power lines in the area uh oh, and then man. you know like dynamic environment with we didn't know how long that that pickup truck was going to stay where it was so we were kind of yeah. cautious of that and so yeah, hoisting down into the back of a pickup truck, horse collar capture strap, direct deployment, uh, and then rescue specialist and uh, and subject straight out of there. So that was again a bit of a trial by fire to start things off. I look back now and it's like, wow, that's that's pretty challenging for the first one, you know. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it was good, and luckily we you know it was there's by that time there was things like GoPros and stuff like that, so we were actually able to capture a little bit of that on. Uh, on video and, and have it, which is, is cool to look back at now. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, that's awesome to look back. A lot on, of people man. don't have that opportunity, right? Like, you know, I'm no. sure your first rescue, there was no real documentation or anything. on yeah, it, So it's, it's pretty nothing. cool to have that. Yeah. No, my documentation, my documentation is right here on my mind. Yeah. I a, know. <laughs> I know. But at least you can embellish it, right? Yeah. At yeah. Least you can't, yeah. You could be like, yeah, it was <laughs> six people and a grizzly bear. And... <laughs> uh, as long as nobody else talks about it, then yes, yes. Exactly. That's exactly, exactly. what happened. <laughs> Yeah. Dang, man. But now, all right. So now we're, we're, I'm going to move forward to you with black home helicopters. And yeah. the greatest part is the last time you and I were together, we were doing a training and we were teaching search and rescue stuff. And in that you and I got doing exactly what we're doing now. We start bullshitting about cool cases we've been on and, and whatnot. And you start showing me a couple of videos and you start telling me a, a, like a couple of these cases you get on. And I'm looking at it, shaking my head, like, this is freaking, this is, we, we, we gotta, man, dude, you gotta come on. You gotta tell me some of this stuff. That so, was the genesis of this conversation it, right now. It was, it totally was. So, man, let's get into, let's get into a couple of these. Um, yeah. actually, 
yeah if you don't I, I pick up wherever you want because there's there's two that i remember specifically one of them going down like river under trees yep. and yep. gnarly weather like as far as fog coming in and then you had another yeah, one yeah. Too. yeah all right so hit me what do, what do you got well, yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of starting from, from where I'm at now here uh, here in Canada, I guess, and then we can kind of touch on some other stuff after. So, like, the first one, we so we've actually started uh, implementing hoisting. These guys locally here have been doing short-haul-type rescues for 20 years, right, or more. So, yeah. it's, it's fairly fairly well-established practice. Uh, but the hoisting's fairly new here. And, you know, like a lot of search and rescue agencies in the U.S., they don't have hoist capable aircraft locally yet. A lot of the rescues that they do traditionally have been short haul. So yeah. one of the things, and that's why I got brought on here to, to help develop it was, was a, a hoist program and, and start to offer that as a, as a tool to these guys to start using it. So that's awesome. I, I think the first one, the first one that we, we actually were able to go out and, and do with our local team here, uh, high up in the mountains, 8,000 feet, uh, a climber had actually overnighted, uh, got injured, and and wasn't able to be extricated overnight due to weather. Um, oh man! And so wow. we went out. We went out first thing in the morning. Fairly serious injuries, and uh, and we were able to to actually go out and, and do. It was a fairly high dynamic hoist, eight thousand feet in in the mountains in our in our EC one thirty five, and you know we we really didn't have room on the aircraft or the or the payload capability on the aircraft to go out fully loaded. So it was a fairly uh, slim down response i guess from our side of things but you know rescue it down and, and into the spot there and then uh just because we didn't have really anyone to able to do things like taglines and stuff like that on the yeah. ground it was again fairly fairly limited response we we were able to do that uh that kind of dynamic departure that you, you hear about it lots of people talking about at the moment um even with a litter and and you know we were able to pick up and actually depart that scene without needing to use things like a tagline and it kind of combined a lot of the the stuff that we've been working up to and, and proved a lot of concepts that we've been trying to, you know, yeah. emphasize like the advantages of the systems that we had and, and the tools that we had available. And on that one, it kind of all came together really well. And that was the first one, you know, that these guys were able to utilize the hoist on. And so I think that was, that was really memorable in its own way, not because it was maybe the most complex rescue, but certainly uh, very, very much a milestone, you know, locally here. And to be a part of that, building up to that was really really cool um, Man, that, that's awesome. so that was the first one and, and that was only last year with these guys so you know only fairly recently but since then we've gone out and done a whole bunch more and, and yeah like i showed you some some pictures and video of, of this one in particular that we did kind of later last year and uh a, a kayaker actually uh capsized on a on a fairly high running river and and injured uh potential spinal injuries and stuff like that we weren't really sure at the time exactly yeah. what the deal was but uh yeah definitely serious injuries and anything involving water as you know is uh kind of emphasizes things a little it's another another element of, of risk there so late in the day i mean all the usual stuff right like late right. in the day getting dark <laughs> everybody's about to weather. go home for the day <laughs> <laughs> right and the information wasn't you know we didn't have all the information at that point so we kind of said all right let's just go up and and take a look at this thing you know like yeah. we were waiting for some information to come back the 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 understanding that we had was that they needed to use a, a rope access team to actually even get to the the subject down a, a really steep embankment you know like it was at, at the water's edge but it was quite yeah. a, a steep cliff to get down in there so we were trying to get all the resources together and, and the way that search and rescue operates here is there's independent teams. So there's, there's rope teams and swift water teams and okay. helicopter teams. And we had all of those teams all activated for this oh, one wow. task. So, you know, with, with poor weather and limited location, you know, there's not a lot of room to move in a, in a fairly tight Valley. And so yeah. it was, 
lots going on. Um, and we basically got out there to do our, our recce. And, uh, and at that point, we didn't realize, but the, the rescuers had actually got a lot further into things than, than we thought that they had at that point and the next okay. minute they're on the radio saying oh we're ready ready for pickup let's let's do this you know so <laughs> we yeah and it was it was kind of cool i was really proud of the way that we we worked through that and and we didn't rush into it we nice. took a step back you know ran out ran our checklists did everything yeah. we were supposed to do by the book um and ended up deploying just we already had rescuers on the ground through the rope access team so yep. we already had that and we were able to actually get a, an empty hook into this person um and obviously the real challenge and the part that I think probably got your sparked your interest there, we were really, really close up against a tree. Um, yes. And where they were was not totally kind of covered by, by tree and foliage, but certainly they were right up against it. And we had some concerns about picking, picking this subject up and actually they, I mean, they would have been in tree branches and it would have been, it would have been quite tight where they were there. Yeah. So it was quite a, it was well-planned. I think we discussed everything in advance and kind of had a really solid plan of how this was all going to look, but we had to actually pick, pick the guys off the ground and then actually move out like to the center of the river before we could bring them up and, and back into the yeah. aircraft. So, which was impressive to watch as well. Now, what you're yeah, failing to I tell think... everybody right now is your altitude, which I'm going to bring up because not only was it in a valley and you were above all the trees, it was like a hundred and something foot hover at least I, I would say you know estimate i, I would say we were probably we were probably in almost 200 foot trees with the you know with the cliff so it was yeah it was it was a high hoist that's a high sure. and that's and a I mean, high for here for us it's not maybe super abnormal but for a lot of people that haven't seen you know trees and and steep valleys like that and they were yeah. right down in it so yeah yeah it was it was interesting for sure yeah. i didn't feel it at the time you know i felt <laughs> like we were fairly well prepared and briefed and everything kind of uh, went as planned but to look back at it after it's like wow that's you know it's some I, I can see why people would be like wow that's that was really complex yeah and i'm sitting here looking at the video sure, like so. are you kidding me right now this is like a yeah. well like, all right so let's call it uh, uh you know 180 200 foot hoist you know i, I gave you 100 yeah i think but that's, it was that's a, realistic. it was a, a very high hoist and and the fact yeah. that you got in there with a your conning and and everything to get the hook directly to the rescuer on the ground was spot on and it was that getting it down i mean at 200 feet it's it's like you it's not easy hard, no yeah, it's not it's, it's it's not easy for sure and, and you know we <laughs> credit to everyone i mean it's not just me we we have some fantastic pilots here that we work with and really really experienced guys and you know adaptable and and just through the work that we do here we we have to be able yeah. to adapt a little bit right like and and so in that case we were able to change a couple of things that we were doing and the pilot was looking kind of we have a bubble window on the nice oh bonus. So he was actually not not totally vertical referencing but certainly looking somewhere different to what a, a traditional hoist you know reference points would be and yep. that was some of the stuff and i mean yeah you've seen the video it, it's a really it's <laughs> the the the, 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 the the hover was rock solid and, and yeah. that that allows me to do my job. And, and we had really experienced rescuers on the ground that just yeah. did everything they were supposed to do. It's a team effort, right? It's not, it's not a one guy show. It's all the, all the moving parts and the aircraft, you know, did exactly what we expected it to do. And, and it just, everything works the way that it should. And that's when it's fun. And you know, yeah. right? when it, when things totally. go well and, and everything works the way that it should, it's, it's, it's a pleasure. But the other part of this, which I, I absolutely love And this is when the things about the video where I was like, man, that, that was brilliant is you literally pick the victim up off the ground. So now the helicopter has the load and then you just 
stop hoisting. You slide left. I think it was, yeah, you slide, yeah, you left. slid left. Yeah. About yep. a count of like three, three count. Now you're in the middle of the river, wide open area for the most part, and then right. just hoisted him straight out. And I'm like, oh, you're not hoisting him through trees. There was no swing. There was no spin. Nothing. No, it was, exactly. it was And like beautiful. I say, that's honestly, I, I, I'm not going to take anywhere near all the credit for that. You know, our, our pilots are the most experienced, like vertical, vertical reference type long line pilots. I mean, yeah. it, you know, you know what it's like, you're doing a hoist and the load's got a bit of a, a swing. Yeah. And, and that happens all the time. I mean, that's, that's a thing that happens. You get a little bit of a, a swing going on in, in the cable and, and I'll often hear from the front, oh, do you want me to fix that? And, and <laughs> they can feel it. If they're not looking at it, they, yeah, yeah. Can, they can feel the aircraft moving around and they can actually correct that swing for me. And you're like, well, what, what am I, what am I, I doing I got here? This. Like, I got this. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the best thing to do is let, let them fix it because they're, they're, super, they're super dialed in. So in that sense, like, picking up a load and just transitioning overhead to kind of center yourself over the load. That's intuitive for these guys. And, yeah. you know, like I say, it's, it's that team effort thing. Right. But that's not, that's not anything out of the ordinary. And it's kind of, it's a fairly, it's an everyday occurrence. So that, 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 you know, experience and, and skill set from external load type work translates over to the hoisting as well. And, and just the way they're able to fly the aircraft and stuff yeah. makes, makes things a lot easier, which is so now, we're really lucky to have that. And when you got the guy all the way up to the top of the aircraft, um, I mean, you're bringing him in the aircraft, no problem. And then now was it, uh, what I don't remember is it, was it you alone or did, was the rescuer with you as well? Yeah, so we actually, just to clarify, we didn't actually bring them all the way up and inside the aircraft. We were actually had oh, pre-briefed to okay. drop them. Uh, no, that's good. We were planning on dropping them just a short distance ahead uh, that's on right. the roadway. Sorry, so I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. brought them up, uh, you know, to, to a, a safe height below the aircraft and basically just transitioned and, and got them to a roadway close by. So it was, we will, as much as we can, and we talked about this the other day, we'll always try and, we don't want uh, subjects, particularly in, injured subjects, on the line on their own you know yeah. we, we want to bring right. them up with with a rescuer to to attend with them you know the difference here is that we're, we're a, a company right we, we go to work and and we're not a public service agency or a you know yeah. we don't have that kind of flexibility that police and law and and fire and those sort of guys have as as public use agencies like in the us for example we we, we you know we can't put untrained people on the end of the line so right totally when you when you're riding up with someone with you then that kind of alleviates that that aspect as well and i think it's just better practice to control things like spin and and things like that you got totally trained and experience with the rest with the victim so yeah so yeah. that's right so you picked them up that's right i forgot about that so then you uh, you basically air taxi with this mm, yeah. you know and short hold the guy for all intents and purposes over to exactly, the roadway and yeah. then hoist and him right was, in to the medical totally and that was one oh. of the big things that there was advantage of the hoist as well is that you know we if that was a short haul, a true traditional short haul, and we had a, a well, we would have needed a 200, 200, probably 250 feet long line you yeah. know, to get them up and out of that spot because of yeah. the tree height. With the hoist, we were able to deploy that full 200, 250 feet of cable, but below the aircraft so that, uh, so that they're not still hanging and transitioning that huge distance beneath the aircraft, which obviously increases the risk. And so, yeah, it was a good, it was a good use of the tool for sure. Oh, brilliant. Love good it. Fun. Yeah. Well done, sir. At those. Thank you. <laughs> like I said, the video, I mean, it's, it's incredible to watch. So um, if we ever get to a chance to post it. Yeah, we can uh, get some stuff and uh, <laughs> I've definitely got some, some good pictures there that kind of highlight the whole thing as well. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see, we'll see what we can get here. That's awesome. And then, all right. So now the next one that you showed me out there was another one. Then there was like a, 
basically right on the riverbed again, right on the riverbed inside this little valley area. There was like a hot tub thing and, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of kids out there and or a couple of guys got stuck. And I was like, what? So <laughs> take me down that one too. Yeah. I mean, again, like, I don't know. I feel like we're really lucky here. We're, we're exposed to all these, this interesting terrain and, and tall trees and it's, you know, the weather, it it's tall here. tall trees they're not just well, tall yeah, trees they're like no, tall tall trees <laughs> right yeah for a lot of people they they you know if you're living in a lot of places around the world you you may not have seen trees like this for us it's normal but yeah, yeah for a lot for a lot of people and it just adds another aspect to it right and like i said it's always raining here it's typically not you know it's it's right around that freezing temperature quite a bit of the year you know we're not we yeah. don't get super cold temperatures but it's you know just borderline snow type temperatures for quite a lot of the year so hypothermia does kick in yeah absolutely yeah and so the medical portion is is obviously really important as well and and making sure that people are managed in in the hypothermic way as well so yeah that was another one that we did where where these two these two uh hikers basically were got stuck with some rising flood water uh it was heavy rains at the time and and they'd gone out on a hike uh, looking for a cool little spot on the river and, and basically the, the river level came up and, and it basically split. And what was once connected to the riverbank then became an island effectively and, and they were stuck out on this this island. And so, again, they spent the night out there in the end. Um, yep. And then uh, they had we had rope teams there. The, the local search and rescue team had rope teams uh, and, and swift water teams and everything kind of there. But the risk i mean there was there was like a small shelter on the island they were able to basically shelter in place and yeah. the, the risk of hypothermia in this case wasn't you know significant enough to warrant risking volunteers safety by trying to access this island in high flood waters and overnight right. like in the in the dark right so and again i mean going into this spot and trying to hoist people in there at night with a specialized aircraft we don't have that capability at this point but to try and bring in basically what would be the military or something like that to, to hoist it's not the risk wouldn't be worth it. I don't, I don't yeah. think based on yeah. what they would do. So we went out there first thing the next morning and yeah, we're able to, to hoist a, a rescue tech into that spot and, and basically retrieve these two people. And I think you saw the pictures in the video of that one as well. Um, totally did. It was awesome. Yeah. So the big learning point for me on that one was we were looking at it from the, from the air at 150, 200 feet again, right? Mm-hmm. Like looking down into this spot and, and we'd done our, our, whatever you want to call it, an on-scene assessment or a recce or uh, of the scene and identified all the hazards and, and, you know, extensively ran through that. And we identified that the ground was uneven and there was some water, you know, slippery. It was going to be, there was a whole bunch of hazards there on the ground and they were all identified in advance. And then we did the rescue. Everything went great. You know, we, we yep. extracted the two, the two uh, subjects out of the, out of the river there in the island. And, everything went great you know and we got back at the end of the day and uh and you know we got a bit of a a group uh information sharing platform that we use online to kind of share information oh, and, and discuss everything which was great mm-hmm. and, and some guys on the ground actually posted up like the rope team and the swift water team that was on the ground actually posted up some pictures and videos from the ground of this whole thing and yeah. i mean you've seen the videos right like these these obstacles that we'd identified in, in and around the, the accident scene in the area we're like, Oh, there's some rocks and some boulders and, and some uneven terrain. And, and yeah. we're like, this, this is a concern. We just need to make sure that the rescuers got good footing when we put them down in there. And then you see the pictures and the video from after for, at ground level. I mean, these, these <laughs> rocks like are the sizes of 10 feet buses. tall. And yeah, like, yeah. You're, you're like, Oh yeah. Oh, Oh, Oh yeah. I don't put them right. on top of that one. That, Oh and man. That's, we, that's yeah. a huge learning point. We just totally, <laughs> 
and it's really hard to judge that stuff from the air and especially 150 200 feet up looking straight down i mean you know yeah. that it's there you know that it's big and it's gnarly but you don't totally realize quite how how extreme some of this stuff can be so that was that was definitely a learning point for me on that one it's like don't Which underestimate is, or don't that, that made, almost, you need to overestimate almost oh absolutely and and really it's you know you bring up a great point there too because it's it's so nice to have a, a guy that's on the end of the hook that actually knows what he's doing a good rescueman because totally the, he's going to give you good hand signals he's going to you know maybe change direction um and yeah one of the things that we work with currently, I believe you do too, uh, is in a wireless ICS system. So now we're connected yeah. actually to ICS, even though we're on the hoist deck and be like, Hey guys, this, this doesn't look good. Let's, let's abort this and, and try something different. Totally. But, um, yeah. And our guys have been using, I mean, like I said, they've been doing short haul for a very long time here and they've, they've had a lot of experience and training and, and expertise doing that type of stuff. Yeah. So a lot of that does transfer <laughs> to the hoist world too, right? But yeah, we have recently started kind of, we haven't fully implemented it yet, but started experimenting with the a wireless ICS system. And I, I've been hugely impressed, you know, with, with just how much it enhances the situational awareness and, and keeps guys hands free to be able to continue working, you know, while, while talking and staying in communication with the aircraft. So it's, yeah, it's pretty impressive technology for sure. It's something that I'd love to see. Yeah you know, become more affordable and get out there more and, and become yeah. more widespread because it's it's yeah. a really cool piece of tech. Yeah. But yeah, it's very much so. Well, like you said, to kind of circle back, you know, when when you're 200 feet in the air, you don't, it's it's a different view 200 feet in the air than it is when you're down there. And, Absolutely. It, and people forget this. And like you, you're talking about ropes teams and uh, swift water teams, they don't quite understand that what we look at from the air is so different. And they're like, no, this is a good oh, spot. Yeah. And you're like, no, that's a shitty spot. You need yeah. something a little more open or you need, let's do this, right. this, and this to, to make that a little more feasible for us in the air. So, yeah. And it's all about compromise, right? And that yeah. that's why it's, it's really important even for us as, as guys in the air to, to continually get training, I think on, on what those guys on the ground are dealing with as well, you know, go and take yeah. a swift water, awareness course even if it's yeah. all it is or go and take yeah. a rope access course just to get a better understanding you know I, like exactly what you're saying where they don't fully understand you know the, the kind of challenges that we're seeing from the right. air but at the same time <laughs> if you can get a better understanding of the challenges they're facing on the ground totally. then it helps you to understand why they're asking for what they're asking for and yep. you might think that hey they've picked this outrageous hoist spot but maybe it's the only position where they've got a solid anchor point to clip into or maybe it's right. uh maybe there's a dangerous current or an eddy in the river that you can't see that they from the ground can identify and they don't want to go anywhere near that or whatever, whatever yeah. it might be. Right. So just being able to branch out that training and just have a better appreciation of things kind of across the board. Well, that's what's nice about you too, because you are a rescueman as well. So you being a rescue specialist on the hook, you understand about being down and what it looks like. So, you know, one of the things yeah. that, that we always talk about or, you know, in training and whatnot is the guy on the ground has to help the guy in the air and the guy in the air has to help the guy on the ground. It has to go both 100%. ways. You can't, yeah. you know, cause it, you know, if you, if you tie this big old ball knot of stuff and then send it down to me, well, you're not helping me out at all. And if I do the same right. thing on the ground and I tie this big old ball, like, Oh, this isn't going to come apart. Well, yeah, you're right. And then when it gets to the aircraft, guess who's got to deal right. with it? You do. So you got to help yeah, each other out. And there, there's a lot Absolutely. of Absolutely. And, and you know, you can get away, you can kind of get away with one guy 
not absolutely nailing it or not being super experienced, but right. it's going to make your life challenging, but not impossible. Yeah. But you put two guys in there together that, that maybe have that limited experience. And, and I think, you know, obviously the, the risk just escalates from there and, and totally. it just the, the chances of something not going to plan just, just go way, yeah. way, way up. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's crazy. And out of those two cases, you've got three lives saved right there, my friend. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Potentially, yeah. I, uh, Potentially, yeah. I don't, I, don't like, on, I don't like to call it live saves too much, but uh, yeah, we certainly we made a difference. Put it that way, you know. Yeah. If if we hadn't been able to go in and do what we did, they the outcome wouldn't have been as good. Obviously, they yeah. would have been colder, they would have been wetter, they would have been maybe more seriously injured or or worse. So yeah, well, it, it's, I made it's it. nice to be able to come. Totally, it's yeah. nice to be able to come out and say that you made a difference for sure. Yeah. It's it's cool. Man, awesome. Now you had uh, you and I had talked about one other one that there's an article on, and which I was I was totally stoked to read, and that was uh, a, a police boat that had flipped over that had capsized with uh, mm-hmm. guys in the water. So, yeah. dude, and there's there's a little article right up with this one, which is on uh, uh, my Grand Prairie now. And yeah, there's there's a few around of that same thing. That was just one of the ones that I found online there. And I mean, being a being a law enforcement agency, they don't like to share too much information, right? Like it's it's not something you really want to be advertising all over the internet. That's right. This this incident yeah. happened, but yeah, there is some there is some information about it out there. But uh, yeah, totally. So like a, basically, a jet boat had capsized uh, in the Athabasca River. Athabasca, yeah, that's okay. Good. Uh, yeah. Near White Court. And the vessel mm-hmm. crashed roughly 30 kilometers from the town around noon on Friday. Four officers were in the patrol at the time, uh, but all of them made it to shore and were being brought home by the Alberta Forestry. Yeah. So that's a, that's a pretty vague article, hey? But uh, super vague. Yeah, it was there was a little bit more to it than that for sure. Well, give me the rundown, man. What so? Yeah. You guys, yeah, give me, hit me. What you got? We can do it. Yeah. So I was I was working uh, in Whitecourt, Alberta at the time, actually, which is uh, kind of directly above uh, Montana for the U.S. listeners. Uh, so the, the the Canadian province north of uh, of Montana, quite a, a ways north. Like from the border, the U.S. border, you've probably got to drive ten hours north wow. to get to white to get to white court so okay. and that's a that's about halfway up the province like you're not even halfway <laughs> to the the top yet so it's a big it's a big province for All sure right. but uh, we were working there on a wildfire repel crew um and our really our, our primary mandate was to to initial action wildfires that was what we did we were not there uh, as a search and rescue resource we were not there you know in any real capacity to support uh law enforcement or anything like that we were, we were exclusively there as as firefighters basically we you know we weren't really we had first aid training you know like a two-day course that you go and get and learn how to do cpr and, and bleeding. yeah put this sure. on band-aids and band-aids and cpr <laughs> but that was really the only first aid that we were actually required to have now one of the big things that i loved about that program was that it was in my mind it was it was cutting edge you know like we were we were pushing the boundaries of, of kind of what, what this group should be able to do. And, and the guys that they hired to come in and work for the agency were highly experienced guys. They had other jobs in the, in the wintertime out there were ski patrollers or they were paramedics or they were whatever, you know, outside of fire season in the wintertime. And the, the beauty of that job, you know, a lot of these guys had college degrees and all kinds of crazy stuff. So the people that we had were, were far more capable than that, uh, that agency really 
maybe even understood or maybe even uh, kind of delegated that responsibility or should have delegated that responsibility. We were, we were a lot more capable than people realized, I think. And, you know, this call came in, like you say, noon on a Friday that uh, a police boat, I don't know if they were training or doing some kind of operation. They probably won't tell you, but they'd actually capsized their boat on the Athabasca river. And, uh, and it was cold. I mean, that river is, is glacial to a degree, right? Like it comes yeah. from the mountains to the West and yeah. it's cold water. You don't want to spend a lot of time in it. And we didn't know whether they'd actually been, you know, at that, I think the, the article said that they, they were on an Island. We don't, we didn't know at that time, whether they were still in the river, whether they were on the Island, we didn't know where they were. All we'd heard is that, Hey, this boat has capsized. We need to get something to, to go and take a look at this thing. And there really is no dedicated search and rescue resource anywhere near there with the kind of standby times, like on that day, I think for wildfire, we were probably sitting on a five or a 10 minute getaway. So if we get a call for a wildfire, we need to be airborne in a, in a bell, you know, I think it was a 212 at that point. We need to be airborne in five to 10 minutes. Oh, wow. So okay. we're sitting there, we're basically sitting there with harnesses on All for 10 hours. You know, we're yeah. sitting in our, in our camp chairs in the middle of the bush in, <laughs> in harnesses ready to go on, on a five or a 10 minute getaway on a launch time. So we were ready to go, you know, and we got this call. And I think someone obviously in their, in their wisdom recognized that we were there and we were available and, and made a really, really smart call, I think, to actually utilize us for that purpose. So we, we picked up, we launched out of there, we located them. Uh, they had actually just made it to an island by the time we'd located them. So they were able to swim uh, to an island as they kind of got washed down there. And, uh, but, you know, cold and wet, they weren't wearing you know, all the, all the protective gear that maybe they could have or should have been uh, on that island. And so we were able to get in there and basically we repel, we use the, the repel resource to actually repel uh, basically the entire crew down onto the island, a crew of oh, seven wow. or six, six guys. And we had a spotter in the aircraft. We were able wow. to repel our six guys down to, down to the, the island. Uh, we had at least two guys on the crew from memory that were uh, paramedics like actual nice. trained qualified paramedics, uh, yeah. which is a way of, but like I said, we were only supposed to be doing band-aids and band-aids and CPR. Right. And we had two guys on a six man crew that were qualified paramedics. And That's so, awesome. you know, pre, pre delegated, here's the team of two. We're repelling you guys into the subjects, you know, start treating for hypothermia, start treating for injuries, whatever. The other four guys, uh, we're going to, we're going to deploy chainsaws. We didn't have the ability to extract at that point. So it was, it was a one-way ticket, right? For firefighting, it doesn't matter because you get to the ground and you get to the ground and you're there to work. So the extraction capability, unless in like serious emergency, when you're getting burnt over or something, we had that capability, but it basically never had been utilized and we didn't want to utilize it. So we assessed the patients. They were cold and wet and had a bad day, but nothing once we were there and actually were able to provide some, some warming and, and, you yeah, know, that it it went from being a serious problem to, you know, we've got a little bit of time here to kind of treat and transport. So nice, nice. Deployed a bunch of deployed a bunch of chainsaws and a bunch of gear. This is our typical thing we do in the bush: is is start cutting down trees and actually build a helipad in in the oh bush big enough gosh. to fit a Huey. And so, and that was our normal <laughs> procedure for wildfire. You know, we'd repel into a wildfire, and half the crew would go start actioning the fire, and the other half's basically job was just to get an access for a helipad to get more crews to the ground without having to repel, you know? Wow. So we just, we just went in and basically did what we do every other time. We started <laughs> actioning the fire, which was actioning the subjects at that point, slightly different, yeah. you know, mode of mode of operation, but effectively a couple of guys just went in and went to work and started working on the patients and <laughs> oh, the rest of the awesome. team started, started cutting a helipad and, and we had them in and out within a couple of hours. And 
yeah, the the crazy thing is we were able to to get back to our base, you know, reset the reset the equipment, repack the ropes, refuel the chainsaws, and basically be ready to go. And and that afternoon, immediately after, we got dispatched to a wildfire and actually went and actioned one of the better wildfires I've probably ever worked on. It was that no afternoon, way. like a, a fully a, a fully involved going wildfire that same afternoon. So, you know, it was it was a cool day. We we got to go out there and basically do everything that we were trained to do in one day and it was way above and beyond what our mandate was or what our experience level should have been and and to be honest we nailed it we did a really really good job i was really proud of the team and, and everyone did a really good job to to go out and do what we were supposed to do so it was super cool dude that is awesome yeah uh, you fun. know it's something i uh, i haven't experienced myself i usually come in with a hoist right but just you know what lay down all the trees <laughs> Right. And then you do it on the side of a mountain where you've actually got to build like some actual cribbing or, you know, you're oh in a swamp gosh. basically up north, you know, once you get up towards, you know, like the, the, most, the northern Canadian shield and stuff like that, it's swamp up there. So you've actually right. got to build like helidecks effectively to land these machines on in the, in the swamp so they don't sink up to their belly. And <laughs> yeah, there's, there's all, I mean, that's a whole different world, right? But yeah, it's uh, that kind of work and experience and training paid off it you know we were able to deploy all those skills and use it for a purpose that we weren't really you know necessarily supposed to be there to do so super cool damn man that is awesome there you go <laughs> dude, i need to hang out with you more often that's for sure <laughs> well Quinny, i've heard some of your stories too but i think uh, uh the feeling is mutual i would have loved to have come and hang out <laughs> doing some of the stuff you guys were doing up there for a while yeah i had a good time for sure I bet. so nice well i man i can't thank you enough for for sharing the stories um yeah uh, so kind of the floor is yours, man. I, I'm willing to talk about anything you want to talk about that, you know, revolves around some of this stuff. And, um, you know, you have a very unique like story in general, because you've gone from firefighter then brought into the helicopter company or into the helicopter world. And then next thing you know, you're, you're doing, um, hoisting to vessels for Harbor pilot transfer to now what you're doing now. I mean, this is, this is so, like yeah. a very unique, like, I, I don't know too many people that have done everything that you have done to, to yeah. follow that path. So I, I would, I would agree with that for sure. And I mean, if you, yeah, I think something that uh, I get asked a lot and we discussed this offline beforehand, a lot of people ask me specifically, you know, how did, how did you get into this? How, how I'm a guy on the street and I want to go and do what you do. How do I go do that? And <laughs> yeah. You know, I think a lot of people maybe misunderstand or, or underestimate exactly what's required to to get to the point where you can go out and pull guys out of rivers or hoist, you know, people to power lines or, or do whatever it is that you do. And oh, that was right, because you did that too, uh, bringing guys to power lines and doing power line maintenance and, and whatnot, which is right. a whole nother. That's it, a whole it's other not, thing. It's not rescue, but it's it's working with hoist and helicopters oh, and long lines around power lines. It's like you get man, crazy stuff. I've so. done, you know, like it's, it's a different world altogether, but yeah. So we can, we can talk about that a little bit if you'd like. All right, man. I, it, it is your podcast, my friend, whatever you want. <laughs> no, Come no, on. no, it's, it's your podcast, <laughs> but I, I would like to actually just touch on it a little bit. Just so, Absolutely. you know, we can, cause I know people, a lot of people ask me this. I get a message, you know, every week asking how they can get into this and it's, 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 great to have a platform that i could maybe share a little bit of that heck yeah come on yeah, okay so i mean i think the big thing with my background and my experience and a lot of people that want to get into it is that 
you need to have experience to actually to actually go out and do you know what i'm lucky enough to be able to go do now and what you know guys like yourself are lucky enough to go and do now you can't just walk in off the street and, and start hoisting it's it's not it doesn't work that way you know right. and i'm sure you'd agree when things are going well hoisting is easy you know it's it's not very <laughs> hard when you have a good pilot and a good aircraft and good equipment and good training hoisting is very very easy but yes. when things start going sideways and, and things aren't going to plan or you get thrown into a situation that you're not familiar with or you know something deviates from from the norm yeah that's that's where that experience comes into play right mm -hmm. and so you look at the big players out there you know the the big agencies that are out there providing search and rescue and no one's no one's sending guys out there with basically zero experience to go do these things there's hour minimums and there's hoist minimums and they want right. 500 flight hours and they want a thousand hoist cycles and they want a paramedics qualification and they yeah. want you know all these different qualifications before you can even put a foot in the aircraft and get to it and so people come to me and they say, well, how do I, how do I get those 500 hours? How do I get those thousand hoist cycles to get into it and get the opportunity to, to go and do these things? And, you know, there, there's a bunch of different ways to do it and, and no two answers are the same. And that's right. where I think it's, it's really interesting depending mm -hmm. on, you know, what country you live in, what state you live in, if it's yep. the US or Canada or whatever, the, the answer is different. And I think there's a few common kind of trends and, and that i can speak to and i think the best thing a lot of guys have traditionally come through the military right like and that's that is your ticket because you can you can basically get into the military and if you are a smart you know competent person with the right skill set and the right personality and the right kind of you know the the right you're the right person for the job they'll you'll yeah. get promoted through and and if you want to be in the coast guard or an army or aviation or a navy yep. or air force or whatever you'll get put through the ranks and, and you'll get to a place if that's where you want to be, where you can actually go and, and do hoisting and rescues and you build that experience. And honestly, it's on someone else's dime, you know, right. they're there, cause it's not cheap to go out and fly a helicopter oh, costs really? thousands of dollars an hour. <laughs> and if you want to go out and fly in a hoist equipped helicopter with two pilots on night vision goggles, it's tens of thousands <laughs> of dollars an hour, you know, and, totally. and then you go tell a prospective person that wants to get into this. Well, you need a hundred of those hours. Yeah. And they start yeah. crunching the numbers on their calculator and they go, this doesn't work. I can't yeah. spend a million dollars at the training I need to go do. Some people can, but not many, right? So yeah, right. Totally. must be nice. But <laughs> so the military is one way of doing it. And for those guys that have come through there, you know, they have a specific skill set and that's totally applicable. You know, you're doing it for the military and that's a great job. And, and you do that for a career and, and amazing. Like, yeah, thank you for your service. Right. But for guys that like me that come in on the civilian side that, don't have the luck of, of, or don't have that, haven't gone through that pathway of, of going through the military. You have to find another way of doing it. And people don't realize maybe how many opportunities there are out there if you dig for them and if you know the right people. And, you know, there's fire agencies like I ended up going through, you know, I didn't start as a hoist operator. We didn't hoist when I was right. doing firefighting, but yeah. I had the ability to fly in an aircraft for a hundred hours a year for years on end. I had the ability to repel out of an aircraft. So there's some rescue specialist skills there. I had the ability to go and start sending repellers out of aircraft. So things like conning an aircraft and putting it in a position above trees and yeah. external loads, it's almost hoisting. You know, it's very, very, very close at that point to hoisting. And so yep. police agencies, you can start, you can go and be a cop and walk the street for a few years. And if you've got the drive and the determination to want to go flying, if that agency has a, an aviation division, 
yeah. there's a way to get going there. You know, you look at Bristow and these big uh, civilian search and rescue organizations, which are starting to pop up. You know, I think CHC maybe in Australia now as well, they've started cadetship programs where you can come in and yeah, you've got to have some skills and you can find those online, like some of the prerequisites to be considered for a cadetship, but you don't need to have flying hours and you can actually show up with with maybe a, some kind of medical qualification or some kind of rescue background in some other field. And they'll actually give you the opportunity to get into an aircraft and, and go flying. And, and those opportunities, awesome. you know, didn't exist previously, but they're ways to get yeah. into it. And so I, I think my point is you need to find an organization like I did that gives you the opportunity to get into an aircraft and then gives you the opportunity to progress those skills within that agency. Yeah. And, totally and at that point, you have to be personable. You have to get to know people. You can't yeah. piss people off. Right. You know, totally. got to, this is a small you, world. To, very small it's community. It's a small industry, Quinn. And you, know, <laughs> you know as well as I do. You know, if you get a bad name in the industry yeah. or you get a bad reputation, you may as well go start flipping burgers. Like, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Not, you know, yeah. You got, you're out. You got no chance. So, <laughs> be a nice need, guy. It, does, it costs nothing to be a nice guy. <laughs> Absolutely, and you are one of the best. So you know. Oh Jesus. Anyone, sure, but listen, don't fall my boat there. Come on now. Oh, I'm, I'm deadly serious. So having a good reputation within the industry and being in good standing, getting to know it, getting to know people is free. You know, when I got my first job with search and rescue in Australia, I paid for my training. I did. I, I'd already done a bunch of repel stuff. So I had that experience. I went to a, a training agency in Australia and I paid at the time, I think it was 11 or 12,000 Australian dollars. And I went and paid for three and a half hours in an, in an A-star to go and do some hoisting and and yeah you get a ticket and like i say you're grossly unprepared to go out in the real world and actually start <laughs> doing rescues yeah but i had a piece of but i had a piece of paper right. and that was more than everyone else had at the time yeah. you know these rescue agencies were getting 100 resumes a week from guys that want to come and do rescues and i was the only guy that had the piece of paper and so you yeah. immediately jump to the top of the list and yeah. it cost me 11 it cost me 11 grand but, but you're you know, at the top made, of the list. I made, that, and... I made that back in the first two months at work. Yeah. Because yeah. you're getting paid. You're, you're right. into it. So yeah. you got to spend money to make money. And I got in a car. As soon as I got that piece of paper, I got in my car and I drove the entire east coast of Australia. And I stopped in at 10, 15 rescue bases. That's awesome. while, every, while everyone else is making phone calls and sending resumes online through email or mail or whatever yeah. it was at the time, Rob's showing up on the doorstep. And nice. saying, I'm willing to travel. I'm here. If you want me to start tomorrow, let's do this thing, you know, and, and again, your, your, your resume jumps to the top of the pile, right? Yeah. And they now know who you are and, and what you are about. And they know that, honestly, they know that you're not a douchebag. They know that you're a reasonable person, hopefully. Yeah. And, and if you purpose. are, I mean, you've, you've yeah. shot yourself in the foot, but if you're a good person and you're willing to talk to these people and show that you're a reasonable person, then you kind of jump to the top of the list. So I think the pathway for everyone is different, but the, the moral is go out and try and find a way to, to find a way an aircraft I and, totally and agree. get yourself into an aircraft and yeah. rack those hours and start accumulating those hours yeah. and, and get to know people and the opportunities yeah. come, you know, every single job I've ever got in this industry was through people that I knew on that job that I was talking about with the river rescue, with the, yeah. with the law enforcement agency, we, we were doing the same thing. We were sitting in the middle of a field somewhere and the pilot who happened to be flying that wildfire machine, worked for the company that was doing the marine pilot transfer. And he got off the phone and said, hey, I just got a phone call that we won this contract. Didn't you do hoisting? You should call this guy. <laughs> and that's what got me that job, right? That's and it's all awesome. About who you know and 
being in the industry and being around similar people that are doing that yeah. kind of work was the only reason why I heard about that job and knew who to contact. And that's what got me into that. And then, you know, you hear about these things through the industry. And so just, you need to be involved in some way, whether that be through a volunteer search and rescue or yeah. fire or police or whatever, there's just, you got to find a way to get into it. So yeah. A lot of people ask me that question and I, I you know, I kind of wanted to hit on it a little bit. And so that's I awesome. Yeah. And direct you, them here and, yeah. and people can come and listen to this now, hopefully, and, and get some insight more than I'm willing to type on an email or social media. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awesome. And, and you're totally right. I mean, um, you know, you and I know people from around the world, you know, uh, cause you've got friends down in Australia. And as a matter of fact, you and I know one of the same people, you know, uh, I got friends in New Zealand and the, the community is out there. If this is something that you want to do, you have to look into start with local and then go yeah. bigger and then go bigger and, totally. and keep and just keep there's a thousand going. other guys wanting to do it too. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it it is. Yeah. It's awesome, man. I love it. Super cool. Yeah. Now, how did you like your uh, Harbor pilot transfer stuff? Cause that, that's, Dude, some... it was, it was really cool. Honestly, like it, it people, I guess again underestimate. I mean, you were up there in uh, in the northern reaches of British Columbia, yeah. and the weather up there is is challenging. You know, it's windy, it's wet, it's yeah. cold. It's it's totally a, it's nice. a pretty challenging place to go flying. And you know, you look at what search and rescue agencies do when they go out and they want to do a a vessel rescue. You know, pull an, an injured fisherman or an injured sailor off a boat, and it's it's challenging work. And yeah. yet we were going out there twice a day and hoisting people to boats in the same conditions yeah. to the same little bridge wing, the size yep. of a coffee table, you know, in pitching rolling seas. And <laughs> we, we didn't have rescue specialists that signed up for that. We had Marine pilots that right. were going to work. Yeah. That was just their job. Like their job didn't start until they set foot on that ship and started captaining the ship. Right. So right. we were a, tr we were a transport service. We weren't yeah. there to try and save lives. We were there to take people to work and, you know, to go out there and have that, I mean, it is a pressure to a degree to go out and keep these guys safe and get them to work and home every day and basically yep. do it professionally and do it in a safe way. It's a challenge, especially in the weather that we were, we were given up there and, and to be able to go out and do hundreds and hundreds of, of boat transfers over a course of nearly two years. I mean, it was, and to stand that program up. I mean, that didn't yeah. really exist before we got up there. So which is to go and do it for the first time is is pretty pretty uh, pretty cool thing to be a part of. Totally, and and for you specifically, you helped stand up that program, which was all hoisting marine pilots, and now you're at uh, Blackholm, and you're standing up this hoist program. Like you are building programs from ground up, and yeah, well, there's every, a lot in to do is right now. To be honest, there's there isn't really any. I mean, there has been a few that have been around for a while, but the vast majority, or, or where you know where you look at the way this industry is going in the next five to ten to twenty years, yeah. you're going to start seeing a lot more hoist programs built from the ground up. And yeah, to to be a part. Of, I mean, there's a lot of lessons learnt as you go through that process, and a lot of a lot of things that'll catch you out and and having learned all that stuff once you know up with that marine pilot transfer program and then yeah. being able to bring that that those lessons learned to the program i'm at now and and you know it, it just builds from there right so yeah it's 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 really rewarding work to be able to be a part of, of something like that for sure it's different yeah. you know awesome very cool. dude that's killer man that was, i love it i love every bit of it 
Yeah. Well, I, I'll keep going. So whatever you want to talk about, I'm, I'm all in. Yeah, man. We can uh, – uh, what else have we got? We can talk about some – maybe some training stuff as well if you'd, if you'd like to. You want to get into some training? Let's do some training. Yeah, we can we can do that for sure. So I think I think one of the big things that we discussed earlier, and I think, you know, what's unique about my my pathway to to where I'm at now is that it wasn't I wasn't a 20 year cop. I wasn't a 20 year right. military <laughs> guy, right? Like, yeah. And you go through that program, whatever that program is, it doesn't matter. You go through that program, and and you come into the program in 1993 or whatever and you, and you get your initial training and you stick with that program for 20 or 30 years and you see that program develop and you get you know you, you learn some tips and tricks along the way and you become a really competent capable operator over a period of time but you become a competent capable operator in that system right right you, you become a really competent you know portland oregon police officer or whatever it yeah. might be and yeah. you know that system intimately and you're really good at that system but there's a lot more in this world and in this industry than that one agency, right? And, Very and much so. One of the things that I've learned the hard way sometimes coming through my career is, you know, I learned how to repel in Australia. Then I learned how to repel in Canada. And then I went back to Australia and learned how to hoist out of an A-star for search and rescue. And then I went to an S-76 in a different operation in Australia yeah. and learned how to hoist. And then I got trained by a training organization in the US to do marine pilot transfers in Canada. And then I went and, and got some training through another organization to learn how to do something totally different. And now I'm where I'm at now and I'm building training programs <laughs> on how to do some fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to be able to draw on some of the experiences from each of those different organizations and take the very best things that I learned 10 years ago in Australia and in ASTAR and combine them with the thing I learned last week out of a 135 here in Squamish, you know, Beautiful. that to me yeah. is what's building out a, a really interesting training program. And, and you and I know, I mean, I, I'm doing some work as well for a training organization down in the US and to be able to then go out with those guys and see how their that, that organization is choosing to train people and the techniques they're choosing to deploy. That's not the techniques that they've learned from one agency. Correct. That's techniques that you've given to me or I've given to someone else or learnt somewhere that I've seen online or whatever. We're not yeah. closed closed in our thinking to only one way of doing things or there's always something else out there that you can do differently or better yeah. or apply those techniques. You know, there's things that I learnt doing some power line work here that are amazing when you go and do a search and rescue. <laughs> and I never, yeah, would have, right. I never would have known that technique unless yeah. I had gone out and done some power line work to, yeah. to learn that skill, to apply it to a different profession, right? And guys that have been a cop all their lives will never have seen that skill or never known that. But I can go out and train, you know, a cop down the road or a firefighter down the road in this technique because I've learned it in a different part of the industry. And, and I think that's really, really cool. Like not yeah. many people, like you said earlier, not many people get the opportunity to to see those different skill sets. And so I, my, totally I guess agree. my point, my point with the training is, is everyone has the power to, to control their own destiny. I guess when it comes to training, yeah. you don't need, you don't need to dig super deep on the internet anymore to find some pretty incredible resources and right. some different information that's out there. And, you know, guys are sitting around getting paid to be full-time rescue people or, or whatever you're doing with helicopters. You can go yeah. online and you can just read things and look at things online and, 
it's it's amazing these days what's available out there just by yeah. picking up the phone and you can call me and i'll yeah, call you yeah. that helicopter you know what i mean or you yeah. you know you're, yeah. you're a all day long. guy you'll happily pick up the phone all day long so i love it the resources are out this. there if people are choosing to look for them and i think that's really cool now that the training has just progressed so yeah. much to the point where you can you can get the information you need to do just about anything now yeah it, you know it, a lot, there's a lot to be said about the whole training aspect too, because, you know, when you, and like you said, you, you've gone to all these different agencies, you've gone to all this different work. You know, I, I have a similar career path where I've been to multiple different agencies. I've, I've seen how other things work. I've been able right. to work on many different helicopters, not right. it, so a helicopter is a helicopter is a helicopter. It's got lift and rotation, right? Totally. A hoist is a hoist to hoist. It goes in, it goes out, right? Totally. But there are different dynamics to every helicopter. And yep. so, I mean, I remember sitting underneath the helicopter and it was, I'm getting picked up off the ground and then all of a sudden I'm back on the ground and I'm looking up, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, get off the hook, get off the hook. And I'm like, what is going on? They're like, we don't have the power for this. You're pulling us out of the sky. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, what? And yeah. uh, so when that Crazy. stuff kicks in, you're like, holy cow, yeah. And, and you know, you fly in on a 429 and there's a different rotor wash spot where right. something would kick out back and right versus back and left or forward and left. And right. it's like, yeah. woo. And you'll, you'll only learn that by either talking to someone who's done it like yourself or yep. by learning it the hard way yourself. Right. You yeah. know, and I like option A better than option B. I like being able to call up someone Absolutely. who I know you know, if you want to talk about 429s, you pick up the phone and you call Gerald over in Ezimat and, and Gerald's going to tell you everything you need to know about yeah. a 429. Yeah. And you're never yeah. going to run into problems in the real world and you're never going to have to learn the hard way Yeah. because there's someone else out there who honestly probably already has now. Yeah. And that's the amazing thing about the industry, I think. And yeah. people, are, people are a lot more open than, than you think. You know, people think that this is closed industry and maybe it is in some elements, but there's a lot of people out there that are willing to share pretty much everything you know, and, and if, all of if us you, if you know them yeah and all of us are willing to um you know look at, at look at a problem and and say and i'm gonna throw these guys under the bus and i i don't mean to do it so i apologize to them but <laughs> you know like the, let's just talk the lady that spun uncontrollably underneath the helicopter I'm like familiar. that is that is such an easy fix it is it so is, yeah. simple and yet like I, and I get, I understand exactly how it happened. I understand right. exactly what the the aircrew mentality was there because we've all been in a similar situation. A hundred percent. And the funny thing is, Quinny, oh. that you mentioned that when I was thrown in the deep end on my first day back ten years ago or whatever, if I had been put in that position, and I can put my hand up and say this, I don't know that I would have done anything differently to them. Right. Because I didn't know any better either. Then, at that time, no one trained me 10 yeah. years ago in that three and a half hours in an A-star that I paid for out of my own money. Yeah. No one trained me how to deal with that emergency. Yeah, that, that is know. an emergency. And I would have, I would have been emergency. that, I would have been that guy, 100%. Yeah. So I can totally empathize with the situation. Today, now, yeah. with the people that are out there and the YouTube and the information that's out there, yeah. that's preventable. Yeah. And, and should we tell everybody what to do when you have an uncontrollable spin underneath the aircraft? We absolutely can. We, we should. Huh? Like stop yeah. hoisting and go right. into forward flight. It's yes. amazing. You don't have yep. to go that far or that fast. You only have to go probably 15, 20 knots 
forward air speed, yep. stop hoisting, just let the rotor wash get behind you and puff. Settle it all out and, and off you go. And you could prevent it entirely by, you know, things like using taglines and, and just understanding what your rotor wash is doing and, yeah. and planning ahead <laughs> a little bit, right? So yeah, there's there's a lot of different things there but the information again the information for that kind of stuff is out there and you know what i'll say i was in a training course yesterday and i had a guy sitting at my table in the training course and as soon as i said he was as soon as i said i was a hoist tech a hoist operator he said oh did you see that video on youtube that's the first seriously that is <laughs> yeah for the untrained person or someone that doesn't understand the industry yeah when you say hoist rescue people talk about that incident and yep. for better or worse you can't i'm not gonna nope. i'm not saying anything positive or negative all i'm saying is that every single person in the world has now seen that video absolutely you know, and then that's what they think hoist rescues yeah. are yeah and that's just so not accurate at right. all you know and that's not totally avoidable hoist rescues totally are. avoidable and that yeah. to like you said is a conversation with a guy down the road uh, an agency on the other side of the country and some dude on the other side of the world that has had a similar uh, incident and it's like, Hey, this is how you fix it. And, right. you know, so anyway, yeah. training. <laughs> yeah. Go get uh, some. We don't care yeah. who it's from. Just right? go get some. Yeah. Make a phone call. Send me an email. Right. Send Rob an email. He'll answer you. <laughs> oh, dude. I'll, I'll happily talk about hoisting all day long, man. hundred oh. percent. Awesome. Yep. So what do you have for lessons learned and you know, especially out of our, just, just now that with that conversation, you know, lessons that you've learned that, yep. that can help, um, hit me. What yeah. do you got? Cause no, I, I, got I, a I made a few sure. notes here and yeah, I bet you do. I, I, and we'll see how, we'll see how much our, our theories align here, but I would definitely say that, you know, doing what I've done and, and in a bunch of different places with a bunch of different pilots and aircraft and everything like that. And the, the lessons that I've learned over that period of time, uh, the biggest self, the biggest pressure that you'll feel is probably self-imposed. You totally. you are in you are in control of, of that pressure that's being put on you to a degree, and it's definitely something that you can learn to cope with and how to deal with better. But you have control over that pressure. So I've wrote I've written down some notes here. You know things like just go slowly. You might think that you're at walking working at a crawl pace, and you might think that you're going really slowly. But to everyone else around you, if you're a competent, capable operator, you know yeah. the old saying: slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Right? I love like, it. I love this. Go slow. Do it once. Do it properly. And it's so true in this world because, you know, we work with a bunch of different people. We work with volunteer search and rescue guys who are super, super dialed in, but they're they're volunteers, and this is not their full time job. You know that they're paid to go and do. This, this mentality of rushing and the, it's contagious. You know, totally if, if is. one person, particularly a person in some kind of position of, of what you call leadership or, you know, a hoist operator in the, in the back of a cabin yeah. who's kind of orchestrating the whole show and, and running the show, that, that if he starts rushing or she starts rushing, it's contagious and everyone else starts to feel that pressure and energy and starts to, to, to mirror it and starts to ramp it up. And then that's what causes you know, even the hoist operator then to start rushing again and the pilot yeah. to start gripping a little tighter yeah. and the hover starts yeah. getting a little shittier. And, you know, these are things that you as a hoist operator who's kind of orchestrating the whole dog and pony show in the back can totally have control over and take a breath, slow down yeah. and be that that Yoda in the back, yeah. that voice in the back, you know, that's, that's yeah. going slow and that's that's yeah. kind of dictating how this whole operation is, is going to unfold because when it all falls apart and the hoist operator starts losing his mind or her mind, right. then 
Helmet fire. Inevitable. Everyone else, everyone else <laughs> is going to, exactly. Everyone else is going to follow shortly thereafter. Yeah. So I think being adaptable, um, you know, within the scope of your training and experience and everything, if you get stuck in this, we have to do it this way. And this is the only way that we can do it. And anything yeah. outside of that helmet fire, right? If you right. get into that, build that experience out to the point, and I'm not saying go out and do whatever you want or do, you know, everything, say yes all the time, but enable enable yourself by learning and through training and through all these other things to have a skill set that's varied enough to be adaptable where you get out to a, a task or go out on a mission and something's not quite how you think it is to yeah. be able to say i remember this and i know that we always approach forward and right to the target right but last week we practiced going forward and left and on this particular case with the wind direction or whatever or the cliff against us on the right yeah a forward and left approach might be better here and yep. don't go out there and be like we always go forward and right therefore we have to go forward and right that's yeah. the only way we can do this being adaptable uh, and if it gets outside of something that your toolbox isn't big enough to cope with yet just say no yeah. you can say no yeah you know? like that we say it all the time here don't make your emergency someone else's emergency your emergency great right? advice great yes advice. they've had a bad day and yes this terrible thing has happened to them but it's okay to say no if it's going to mean that if you say yes, you're going to end up in a fiery ball on the side of the mountain. With exactly. Them. You know, that's not, you're not of any use to anyone at that point. Right. And, and I've had to do it. I've had to say no. And, and you know, and, and that's, that's something that you got to live with, right? You got to yeah. say, well, okay, like I made a decision here and I'm sticking with it and, right. and for better or worse, but don't let people push you into these situations. Don't let that pressure force you to say yes to something that you right. really know that you shouldn't. It could um, be as something as simple as taking off in, in poor totally. weather or, totally. or you take off and go into poor weather and, and you're like, you know, this is, this is just at the edge of minimums. Well, mm -hmm. you know, if a minimum wasn't good enough, it wouldn't be the minimum. Right. right. So don't. Just, oh, I agree for sure. You can, and that's you so can, easy to say no. And, and, yeah. you know, I guess I'm really lucky to have always, you know, worked with organizations that have supported those decisions. And I get yeah. it when you work with someone who, who doesn't necessarily just support those decisions to say no, and you, and you feel like there's going to be some consequences for that, then that's tough, um, you know, to be put in that position. I certainly sympathize with those people, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's still, it's your life on the line out there doing what you do. And, and it shouldn't be dangerous. You know, people consider that what we're doing is, is dangerous. And, and in my mind, it's yeah. not, you know, because we're going out and, making smart decisions and we're well trained right. and, and well equipped and yeah. what people see on youtube is not what it's like in the real world you know if you saw all the briefings and the recce's and all the checklists that we run and yeah. how much of this stuff is pre-planned it's it's not eventful you know yeah. for us to the to it's, the degree that it looks like from the outside yeah no i i very much agree with you um you know flying is inherently dangerous but of you course. know uh, you know, there's accidents when you're flying. Well, just, I mean, there's accidents in the car when you're driving down the road. It doesn't mean they're going to shut down right. every road. And, and Crossing the street yeah. in New York City is dangerous if you hey. close your eyes. Yeah, right? right. I mean, but if you're, if you're trained and you have knowledge about what you're doing, then everything, right. you know, and, and. You set I'll, yourself I'll go, up for success. Exactly. And if you have, you know, you plan, you plan for the success, but when you have the emergency, be able to adapt and overcome it. And that's why you train. Plan. Yeah. You know, this yeah, is why you exactly. train. Yeah. Like you a, shouldn't a be going out and hoisting. You know, when we go out and hoist right. for training here or anywhere else, yeah, we do very little hoisting of just like, okay, it's going to be a single rescuer to this spot on the ground and then we're going to extract them and be done. Yeah. 
we don't need to practice that. We can yeah. we can put people on spots on the ground. You know, we go out and then we yeah. say, all right, it's going to be this, but midway through the hoist, you have a stoppage or you, you have an engine failure or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Because being prepared for that and and being set up for that, when it happens again, when it happens for real, it's almost going to be uneventful. It's yeah. going to be like, oh, oh, I remember this. We yeah, practiced yeah. this last week. <laughs> we have an engine totally. failure. Yeah. Cut, cut, cut. You clear to fly. Done. Like yeah. it shouldn't be. And you've pre-briefed it. You've talked about what you're going to do. So the actual actions of doing it shouldn't be yeah. something you've never done before. They should be. They should come naturally. You know, instinctively. Right. And I, I personally, every time I do a training flight, I make sure I give myself one or two. Uh, hoisting emergencies and it could be as simple as a lost calm to a hoist you call it a hoist, a, a hoist stoppage i call it a hoist failure yeah, sure. same sure. the hoist stops working um or yeah. i i do an override where the pilot actually kicks in and there's and i'm like hey i get an override stop hoisting and uh, you know i go through all my checks but i make right. it a point to give myself that just to so i know because i had one not, as a matter of fact i had one not too long ago like uh, two months ago we had a Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a fouled cable and boop. yep it happens uh, yeah and you're like okay everybody's safe we're in a good mm-hmm. hover um yep. stable aircraft let's fix it and and we went about we fixed right. it and we moved on and it was it was uneventful it, which is the right. way an emergency is supposed as to be it should be right yeah, as you have be. you have an emergency and you adapt and you overcome and then you come in and land and everybody's home safely right. it's a non-event it's, it's beautiful. Totally. So, and that's why we train. So, yeah, you have to be able to find ways to, to manage that and, and to utilize the time effectively. Totally agree. Totally agree. All right. So with other lessons learned, uh, we, we know a guy, we know, we know the company that built their, their company around this in particular, or this in particular guy and yeah. Dave, you, or Dave, Rob, you know the story really well. So if you if you want to touch on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think we mentioned earlier, um, you know, thing we talked about lessons learned, we talked about training. Uh, I mentioned briefly that I, I do some training down in the US with uh, with an organization. And so I think, you know, to kind of close the loop on, on all of those conversations and, and just kind of sum it all up, I guess, uh, I don't want to kind of get too deep into it, but uh, the the company I work for down in the US, SR3 Rescue, um, was actually founded uh, after a fatal in Las Vegas uh, a number of years ago now. And uh, the uh, the police officer that was unfortunately killed during that accident, Dave Buskirk, um, his call sign was SR3 with uh, with Las Vegas Metro. So right. a couple of years ago, I uh, I crossed paths with, with Dave and Jason, who owned the company uh, at SR3 there, and they had just kind of, uh, founded the company and got it going and um, basically that that accident that uh, that ultimately uh, killed Dave was was a dynamic rollout of a hoist hook and and the way that you know a lot of people see it was that it was a it was a preventable accident based on information that wasn't really out there and, and not a lot of people knew or not everybody knew including this agency that uh, that that phenomenon was was around and, and had the, yeah. had the you know potential to kill people so uh, as soon as I kind of heard that story of that organization and, and why it got going, um, I'm like, I, I'm on board with this. You know, this is not about money. It's not about, uh, 
you know, uh, exposure or anything like that. It's about making the industry safer. And and that's, you know, that's their primary function. Yes, it's a company. Yes, it's out there to to stay afloat, obviously. But the primary mandate of that organization is to is to improve safety in the industry and, and get information out there. And, you know, things like what we're doing here, where we sit down and talk for an hour about the industry and how to make it safer and, and how how to get that information out there through channels like things like podcasts now and social media and, and that sort of thing, you know, has a huge impact on on the industry. And it's something that I'm really, really like kind of, I guess, privileged to, to be able to be involved in uh, at this point in, in the industry's growth. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, you know, to, to look back at it now, if, if Dave was still alive, he'd be, he'd be super proud, I think of, of what we're doing and, and, you know, the, I totally the agree to that. Company is, is to make, you know, I would like to think that he's uh, he's happy to put his name or his call sign on on the product that we're delivering. So yeah, it's uh, it's another thing to talk about the training. And I know we didn't get a lot into the, my my experience with the instruction side of things. I, I, it's not really necessary, but it's just another another aspect, and it's something that I'm really kind of privileged, I guess, to be able to be involved in. So uh, yeah, awesome. thanks, Quinny, I guess, for the opportunity to come on and, and chat with you and, uh, and yeah. share a little bit of my limited experience but uh different hopefully to what other people i know you've got some pretty <laughs> some pretty high profile guests coming on here so i uh i'm excited to listen to the rest of of your guests but uh well, very very privileged to feel like i'm i'm considered in that group i uh yeah well and, yeah yeah well i appreciate you coming on rob you have a very unique and different story than than most which is one of the reasons i really wanted you on here because of that and you know and you've you have demonstrated that just in this talk and everything that you've done it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing career as to where you're at. And I, I am thrilled to be training with you side by side because uh, you and I have a blast together and you're oh, a great yeah. instructor. So oh, the feelings mutual, Quinny. I, uh, it's been too long since we last worked together. So I know we got to work together recently and uh, yeah, I know that I know there's going to be a bunch of opportunities in the future. So yeah, very, uh, very stoked to see that you've got this thing up and running. And uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty, pretty excited to hear some of the stories that, that come yeah. out of it, for sure. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. They're fun. Then there are some guys out there I that have imagine. done some incredible stuff. So, oh yeah, yeah. like you yeah. say, I think you know, I what I've done is is you calling it a career, but I feel like you know, I'm I'm just getting started here. It's like you know, now I'm at the point where I can actually, you know, have a conversation with some of the guys that you're you're bringing on. So yeah, yeah it's very, very cool for sure. Awesome. Well, Rob, I, I don't want to take your entire day. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, this is awesome. This was a blast. So yeah, I had a good time. I appreciate it, Quinny. Thanks. Absolutely. Uh, anything else you want to add just before we, we cut out? I think, uh, I think we've hit on enough. The people have probably, they're probably paying for a translator to understand what I'm saying and they probably charge <laughs> by the hour. So we'll, uh, we'll save them some money and call it there. Hey, dude, I love it. I love it. At least I understand everything you're saying. I don't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> thank God. Otherwise this would be a real challenge. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. And on that, everybody, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and as my daughters like to tell me all the time, like and subscribe. Oh yeah, I appreciate it. So I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story and would be willing to share it, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about rescue or anything else here that we talk about, 
please send me an email at therealrescue at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. Or you can also check us out on our Instagram page at The Real Rescue, and that's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. And for all of you standing the watch today, remember, when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, stay safe out there, everybody.